Bilingual in America. Tunei el loga fi America. Bilinguismo negli Stati Uniti. Bilingue in America. Ser bilingue en America. I'm Suzanne for some of our listeners, the new school year is already underway, while for others, classes will soon be in session, and most likely, instruction is happening online. Over the past several months, how we teach and how we learn has been flipped upside down. Many teachers began incorporating new tools into their lessons, often for the first time, while students began experiencing new methods of learning, which will have an important, lasting impact on the field of education. With this transition, it's more important than ever to help educators find ways to connect with students and keep them engaged, motivated, and safe in the digital world. Most teachers had a few days to prepare for this monumental transition. As educators, we saw student needs that range from Wi-Fi and technology access to creating emotional and social connections to assuring that children continue to learn and be challenged. Today, we'll hear one teacher's perspective and what her experience was this past spring as the classroom became our phones, tablets, and laptops. Dr. Vilma Vasquez is a dual language teacher in New York. She shares the many obstacles and fears that families faced as we quickly shifted into virtual learning. She champions the idea that our migrant families come from a resilient stock, that they build bridges through connections and embody the we can mindset. Let's listen as segment producer Yarina Sension talks with Vilma. It's so nice to speak with you again, Dr. Vasquez. What has surprised you the most in terms of challenges faced by bilingual families related to remote learning? Well, I have to say, you know, in, initially at, we have to really think about the beginning because it really sets a frame for kind of how the train left the station and we were like all waiting. <laughs> so many families, you know, when we reached out and we would survey if they had access to technology, many families declared that they did indeed have access. Um, they, you know, either a smartphone or a tablet. But what families did not understand is that the amount of technology access that they would need for their child was going to be needed over an extended period of time. So no one could have anticipated this, it, it was compounding. And so now they are wrestling with existing technology that they had at home. So some families were also hesitant to go to the schools and pick up technology devices, perhaps due to their immigration status. You know, a year ago, I just want to paint a portrait of what was happening in Westchester County. There were many immigration custom enforcement suites under the Operation No Safe Zone. So they were anxious and they were concerned that it might have been a ploy to get families to come out and they were truly petrified. Some families thought that they, if they received the device, that there was kind of like uh, an installment plan attached to it. So some families thought that if they received the device, that there was an installment or payment plan. 
many of the families that uh, we are working with are families that are coming from Central America or South America, where there is compulsory education, either in the morning or the afternoon. But in order to receive this quote unquote free education, you must purchase a uniform and you must purchase the books. So, of course, that being said, they assumed that there were strings or conditions attached to having their child partake in distance learning with the tablet that was issued by the school. They, you know, are assuming that there's going to be some inherent in that transaction a cost. So, could you imagine many families are financially struggling and now they don't see themselves being able to take on that burden. As you know, the digital divide is very real and people think that with the advent of smartphones and application uses that there would be an easier access, you know, for students maybe to be able to get onto the internet. Now many of these video consoles, right, they can have internet access. But however, navigating the technology requires a whole, we have to start with when your car is not working, you got to check the first thing, is the battery working? Do you mm. have gas? You know, the simple basic. And in this case, there was no battery because they were not connected to the Wi-Fi. Um, some of them not understanding that perhaps the Wi-Fi and bandwidth is overburdened or overwhelmed with multiple devices in their homes. So this notion that you, you know, you have to deal with perhaps maybe connecting to the router and maybe something that is going to give them more service in throughout the house. Um, they, they don't understand that many of them. It's, it's just a new concept and that's expensive. So dealing with faulty uh, Wi-Fi access and maybe trying to negotiate routers with Wi-Fi passwords, you know, depending on the age of the parent, that was not always very intuitive. So another issue that we did not anticipate was that application downloads can get tricky if they are using a school device. So for example, um, when they have an Android, they go to Play Store. If they have an iPhone, they would go to Application Store. But the application hub on the service devices, on the, on the school devices, was not called Application Store or Play Store. And um, in our district in particular, which is a large district in Westchester County, it is called self-service. So this right there, they didn't have had no idea what that was. Communicating with families, you know, not all of the teachers at this point had an outreach platform in place, Remind or ClassTag. And even with these applications, families need to kind of be walked through and, you know, and they have to set the language of preference and their settings. And, you know, all of that is challenging when you're trying to have them navigate this on their phone, when it's also the phone that they're talking to you. So the multitasking was very tricky of how do I get it on? So, and in some cases you have uh, families, they have to deal with the notion of being able to verify that they're the user of that account. And some families did not have emails already, pre-existing emails. So now the whole notion of having to establish an email address was very challenging. So, um, and, in, and for example, in some applications, 
the messages are not translated. So if you have a monolingual teacher putting out a message, you're, now the parent is dependent on the child to translate. And that shifts the whole power dynamics between the adult and the child, the I know, you don't know, um, and they're not on the same you know, level. So right there, some power dynamics are shifted. Um, and in some cases, you have illiteracy. That is a very real reality for some families, especially with the parents. And that presented an obstacle because now the mother is losing face with their child or the father is losing face with their child for not being able to write. To, that, was, that was a setback. This idea that remote learning was viewed like tarea. That was a conversation we had with some families. And, pero hi, mi hijo no quiere ser la tarea. He does not want to do his homework. But they did not understand that maybe perhaps in the past, homework is considered an option or viewed as an auxiliary you know, option. But here we are in the land of distance learning where it is not an option, it's a mandate. And at this point, we're asking that it is not tarea, that it's school at home, you know, whereas homework, right? Inherit in the word homework, right? It's done at home. No, the shift is schoolwork at home. So getting on board with all of that, I mean, that's just the preliminary baseline. The, it's like the train left the station and we're all waiting on the local station for the next train to come. Um, so yes, that, that was challenging. So you share a variety and a range of issues from fear for their own safety, digital literacy, equity issues, Wi-Fi issues, just basic communication issues, literacy in their home language. I mean, this is, you know, viewing remote learning as new learning and not homework. I mean, this is really a huge range of issues that no one could have predicted or foreseen as challenges as we shifted into this way of teaching and learning. And, and you know, I love the way you frame the question with our bilingual families. And so we just cannot think of bilingualism as just language, that it is about culture. And so we must find a way to build bridges culturally for our Latino families or any family that's speaking another language. And it's about building those bridges, you know, and you, you hear those metaphors uh, commonly. But I think that what creates a bridge is a sense of connection, right? That's, that's the metaphor of connection, where people can see that they have that connection, that they come from a resilient stock, you know, that inherent of this adversity, right? You, you can dig in. But I will tell you, it's almost like a force field initially, because I'm sorry, it, it happens, especially in the Latino culture. We talk about, you know, I have family, Hurricane Maria came. I would reach out desperate. When I couldn't get through, I finally get through. I know they're in, this, in, in a situation of great need. The first thing I ask is, ¿Cómo están? And they say, estamos bien. But in that estamos bien, translates a whole other mindset. It's really about everything is going to be fine. Right. It's not estamos bien. So penetrating through that force field um, that 
that everything is fine mask, once that drops and you feel that there's open vulnerability, then, you know, it's a, you have to understand it's a coping strategy. I mean, and as I hear you talking, I really get the importance of creating that foundation of communication so that that bridge can be built and that that bridge is not uh, created from a one or two time connection, but it's an overtime layering of labor and love. I really truly get that. Yes, yes. And, you know, when my mom was a little girl and how, you know, she was one of 11 children and they lived in a rural area on a farm and they had to walk, you know, for almost 45 minutes to get to the school, which was actually the church they had to clean up on and then use as the classroom. And that there was a traveling teacher, that that was in the school, the teacher wasn't there all the time. And so that what happened, my mother in a way was part of distance learning because she had to, you know, plan for this. She had to share resources the same way. Things weren't perfect. And this idea of my mother had to share a pair of shoes to be able with her twin sister. And one day she would go, the next day she would go. So the one that went had to go and tell, you know, the other one what they learned that day. So they were playing school. And so this idea of, so today it's not the shoes. Today it might be the iPad. Today, it might be your mom's smartphone, but you know what? You, your job is to share and to, you know, and you're, you can get through this and celebrating that adversity, those stories of adversity from their parents. What were some of the struggles they had? So I find that we need to channel and, and focus on the cultural uh, stories, the narratives that celebrate the I can, we can, instead of the, I can't do that right now. I, you know, testing, no, I don't see that as a viable option right now. Your families must be so grateful to have you as a campeona, a champion in their corner, you know, advocating for them, teaching them, modeling for them, and, and really um, being a stand for them. So I wanted to ask you, uh, how do we prepare and arm our, bilingual families for the possibility of an extended remote learning situation? You know, this idea of, you know, we, my partner, my teaching partner and I, no one asked us to do this. We felt compelled to, and we created a, an open house, uh, distance learning open house screencast. We recorded ourselves and immediately we said, we want you to imagine yourself Right now, we just knocked on your door and we're sitting and you invited us in and we're sitting at your kitchen table and you're preparing the coffee and we're starting our conversation like comadres y compadres. Number one, that, that, that imagery, the whole let's go back to a space. And then the next thing we said was, we are so grateful that we have met all of you during parent conferences, during open house, that that helps us with our personal level of angst because I, I have met with the parent of, of your child and I, I feel that we have this beautiful connection and I'm so grateful we have that. So first off, it's about transporting families to a place of remember when, you know, creating that connection and telling them that we're here together. So that's super important. 
I, I think we, we have to keep reminding families that they're not alone. So in one of our presentation slides, we had the word juntos, which was, you know, with hyphens in between. And then we had a little fun with it. We said the hyphens are for distance, for physical distance. The letters can't be together, but we are still together, you know? So a levity, um, you know, uh, I think this whole, remember I said before the mask of we're fine, you know, we're fine. We're going to be fine. We're going to get through this together and being able to, um, keep asking and you know como, como te puedo ayudar? you know and having compassionate listening you know where we're not trying to fix a problem we're just sharing that sacred space with families you know where the conversations will naturally evolve of so and so does not does not listen to me maestra you know i'm i'm i don't know how to do this and am i am i such a bad mother that I felt like I had a place to escape to when I had to work and now I'm here all day and, and just, just being and giving them that space. And I know that's hard when you have a roster of 20 children, 24 children, or in my case, 43 families, um, because I'm a dual language teacher, you know, it requires, but I had a friend ask me, you know, wow, that's just a lot of work. How do you do it? And I, and I said something like, and I'm sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. I said, I made a social justice contract to be able to do this work when I signed on to be their dual language teacher. I know full well what that means. That means, like you mentioned, I have to try to be a voice for the voiceless and I have to try to champion a cause for equity and accessibility. It looks like you're doing amazing work for your families and I know it's not easy and I commend you for all that you do, all that you do that we don't even know that you do. And I thank you. I thank you for, for taking on that trial and that task in the world. And I thank you for having this conversation with me and uh, I look forward to empowering more families as we move forward and try to figure out this new normal. Oh, thank you, sweetheart. Thank you. It's a great pleasure. Suzanne, as we listen to Dr. Vasquez share, what struck you most about the issues that impacted our bilingual families? But I'd have to say that um, the one piece that I really paused to think a little bit more about was this idea of distance learning being a mandate as opposed to what homework usually has been, where it's somewhat optional, right? And the idea that this was schoolwork that was happening at home. So I definitely wonder about that because I saw many instances of parents sharing that the kids just didn't feel like doing it. And the other one um, also, which I know struck a personal chord because I struggled with it at first was the idea of the self-serve app and how to download certain applications on the iPad that the school loaned to us. So um, definitely that really reminded me of the challenge I faced. What about for you, Yadi? Yeah, I have to agree with um, the two points that you bring up. And, and for me also, just like for some of our families, truly we had to start like right at the beginning. Like, do you have an email? Do you have Wi-Fi? Like, if they don't have 
these building blocks, like how can they even entertain the idea that they could do this remote learning at home? I mean, there's so many struggles, truly. I mean, she, she really covered the gamut of everything that could have come up for a family. I really appreciated the thoroughness of her share. Dr. Vilma Vasquez also shared offline how we all need to become advocacy champions and ask for what we need and teach students and families to do the same. The work is ever present. As families make important decisions about their child's learning, let's honor each decision made because it is based on personal circumstances. These schooling decisions are not easy. Let's be of service and make sure we are connecting with neighbors and helping when we can. Remote learning formats require new thinking to create compelling, engaging, and inclusive content. As a community, let's hope schools can implement more meaningful experiences, level the digital playing field, and support families during these challenging times. Let's all do our part and get through this together. Thank you for your interest in the stories we share. By sharing, following, and liking our podcast on anchor.fm, Bilingual in America, and our Instagram blog at bilingualinamerica.podcast, you are speaking your beauty. We welcome your comments and feedback, and we appreciate your support. Follow us, like us, share us.